Hello. Welcome to Rusty Sonnets, the podcast where I take an old poem, read it out, give it a good going over before I wander off on one. My name is Niall, and today it is time for part four of the Paradise Lost Book Club. This is long overdue, I know, and I'm trying my best, but like I did last time, I'm going to leave my my gnashing of teeth and my um, self-flagellation and my apologies and my excuses to the end of the episode. So there's something to look forward to once we get to the other end of this. But for now, this is part four of the Paradise Lost Book Club. If you have just wandered into this thing, if you've just blundered into this podcast, then I would recommend that you go onto the SoundCloud page for Rusty Sonnets, if you aren't on it, and look up a little playlist. And there is a playlist called Paradise Lost Book Club. And it has the previous three episodes. And I recommend you start listening from episode one. I think this podcast is a bit more episodic. Otherwise, when I'm doing just individual poems, that's what I normally do. Give a little analysis of those individual poems. But uh, this one, I think specifically, really need to start from the beginning. So if you haven't listened to any other Paradise Lost Book Club episodes, then just look it up on whatever podcast provider you have. Um, Just look up Rusty Sonnet's Paradise Lost Book Club part one and start from there and I think you will enjoy this more when you get to this episode but you're a free human being and you can do what you like within reason um, as long as it doesn't involve giving someone else coronavirus now where was I Um, trying not to become topical that's what I was trying to do so back to paradise lost book club part four so we're looking at book four of paradise lost you might remember in the last episode in book three the the basic rundown of that was this that satan finally arrived at the at at sort of at eden and he'd been through in book two he'd been through this quite heroic journey past the gates of heaven past the spirits that guarded it and uh, he finally made it to the borders of of heaven and eden um and then we got on to part 3 book, book 3 and it actually began as as satan was arriving with 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 Jesus and God and by the way I have to do this disclaimer now before I forget to do it later on when I say Jesus and God I I really mean and Satan as well I mean I treat them as literary figures I am not making absolutist statements about Jesus or God or Satan Um, in the sense that while I'm not necessarily I'm not really a believer myself I understand that some of my my listeners might be and so I'm very much treating these uh, characters as characters that have been created in a work of fiction by Milton. So we're not actually talking about the Bible. We're not talking about actual Christian figures. We are talking about, yes, they are, of course, Christian figures because Milton was trying to write a Christian epic. But ultimately, I'm talking about them within their literary context rather than a more absolutist theological context. And I hope that's enough to just allay any fears about irreverence or blasphemy or anything like that that i'm really i'm genuinely just trying to treat these guys as milton's god milton's jesus milton's satan and in this chapter milton's adam and eve so we cut to in in book three we cut to heaven where we find that uh the angels and god and jesus or who's known as the son in in paradise lost so far anyway um are all watching it they've all watched him escape and they're all just talking about what's going to happen to eden and everything is pretty much just laid out that they agreed christ says oh right okay well 
Um, if man falls, man falls, but I will die to redeem them. And everyone goes, yay, and they have a little carnival. And then it cuts back to Satan, Milton Satan, arriving at um, heaven. And he gets stopped by a seraphim called Uriel. He's like, what are you doing here? And uh, just before Uriel spotted him, Satan has disguised himself as a cherub. And uh, Satan says, oh, I'm just uh, your average curious cherub. Trying to, I've heard these great things about about God's new creation, and I just want to check it out for myself. And uh, Uriel, being the uh, unassuming chap that he is, just says, "All oh, right, well, it's good for you to be sorry. I commend you for being so curious. Head on down, mate. Have a good butchers. Go on, you're very welcome. Knock yourself out." And off Satan goes <laughs> down to down to Eden, and that's that's where we left it off. So let's jump into book four where Satan has finally arrived at Eden and is looking upon it. So, And we begin very much again with, with Milton's voice addressing the reader to speak about what is happening. Oh, for that warning voice, which he who saw the apocalypse, that would be um, the saint forgotten, isn't it? St. John, who wrote the Revelation, yes. Oh, for that warning voice, which he who saw the apocalypse heard cry in heaven aloud, Then when the dragon, put to second rout, came furious down to be revenged on men. Woe to the inhabitants on earth. For now, while time was, our first parents had been warned the coming of their secret foe, and scaped happily, so scaped his mortal snare. For now Satan, now first inflamed with rage, came down, the tempter, ere the accuser of mankind to wreck on innocent, frail man his loss of that first battle and his flight to hell. Yet not rejoicing in his speed, though bold, far off and fearless, nor with cause to boast, begins his dire attempt, which neither birth, now riling, boils in his tumultuous breast. So, Satan has his plan. That's what's rowling within his chest. Um, And he has his purpose. And his purpose is to spy on what is happening in Eden to look at. So in some ways, when he was talking to Uriel in the the previous book, he was curious about this new race of creatures known as man. But he also is looking for a way of corrupting or just destroying what is there in order to to just get back at God, to make God feel bad, I guess. So now Rowling boils in his tumultuous breast, and like a devilish engine, back recoils upon himself. Horror and doubt distract his troubled thoughts, and from the bottom stir the hell within him. For within him hell he brings, and round about him, nor from hell, one step no more than from himself can fly by change of place. There's a lovely line there. Again, it's surrounded by these other lines that contextualise it, which is, I guess, what poetry does. So it's, you know, so, so horror and doubt distract his troubled thoughts and from the bottom stir the hell within him, for within him hell. So some lovely, um, I guess the word is parallelism, isn't it? For hell within within him for within him hell but this thing of um reversing the word order within a certain line and we remember this because as we know from the the, the beginning in our previous 
podcast about Milton. Milton is going for many interesting rhetorical effects within his text because he's already disavowed the like the like tinkling sounds of end end rhyme, um, famously denounced in his in his introduction to Paradise Lost. But the the onus of this point is is quite interesting. That hell seems to be a state that stirs within Satan, and so he brings hell everywhere with him. So and this is mentioned again later on that really he can't escape hell because part of him is hell personified, his torment, his um, his ambition, his his forever frustrated vanity and pride and ambition are what create hell within him. So he brings hell within him, and I mean, of course, this is this is foreshadowing what is going to happen after the fall of Eden, which is man is is fallen, and man is condemned um, to hell through sin, and only, of course, Christ through his sacrifice can redeem man according to according to the theology that this is based on so he brings around about around about him nor from hell one step no more than from himself can fly by chance of place now conscience wakes despair that slumbered wakes the bitter memory of what he was what is and what must be worse or worse deeds worse sufferings must ensue there's some lovely, there's a lovely Miltonian line break. I'm always gushing about the Miltonian line breaks here, but this one, now conscience wakes despair that slumbered, wakes the bitter memory of what he was, what is, and what must be for, and, you know, and then there's the line break worse. So he's saying what must be worse, but there's a double meaning there of what must be. Um... So, I, I, again, I think there's there's this ambiguity of the line breaks and I think there's a lot about people have written a lot about Milton Satan and how Milton Satan, I've already spoken about this with regard to the end of book two. He's quite heroic in a lot of ways and we're almost invited to sympathise with Milton Satan in a lot of places. And I think part of this comes from the really clever use of line breaks from Milton. Um, as I've already said in previous episodes, William Blake said that Milton... Uh, was of Satan's of was of a devil's party without knowing it, but there's something quite knowing about his use of a line break throughout this. So, um, yes. So, so what must be worse? Um, worse deeds, worse sufferings must ensue. But I think part of that is that Satan knows that if he he will be punished, worse, more suffering must come. This can't come of any good. And he knows he will be punished even more severely, but for him it's worth it. It's worth, like in the worst case scenario, he's had a little victory and his little victory is sort of spoiling things for God, spoiling paradise for man and God, making others suffer. He feels better through having made others suffer. Schadenfreude, I do believe, would be the term. So he, he notices the sun and then he has a little chat with the sun. Well, he addresses the sun. The sun is, and through addressing the sun, he starts off on a bit of a soliloquy, which I might read in full or I might gloss over some parts I haven't decided yet because, hey, what's a podcast if it isn't a little bit shabby and a little bit baggy around the edges, eh? Um, so here is his Milton Satan speaking. Oh, thou that with surpassing glory crowned, he's addressing the sun, looks from the sole dominion like the God of this new world 
Um, there's meant to be, uh, according to, I have previously sung the praises of the Dartmouth.edu annotated text of Paradise Lost that is available online. And it's the one I'd recommend you to look at if you're not buying a paperback copy of Paradise Lost to read yourself. But it's got some very good notes. And here it notes that, uh, that he's perhaps referring to, I guess, around this time. Um, it was written after the, discover the discovery, sorry, discovery. No one discovered America, but the uh, Christopher Columbus, uh, it was written after the New World, as it was known, became apparent to the Western world or to European culture. And um, so I think he was aware, and maybe they were aware also, I mean, after all, Lucifer comes from the Roman paganism, doesn't it? And uh, the, the light bringer, the name for the morning star. So... Um, he he's referring a little bit to the pagan religions that worship the sun here as well. So it looks from thy soul, dominion like the god of this new world, at whose sight all the stars hide their diminished heads. To thee I call, but with no friendly voice, and add thy beam, O sun, to tell thee how I hate. Sorry, and add thy name, O sun, to tell thee how I hate thy beams that bring to my remembrance from what state I fell. How glorious once above thy spear, till pride and worst ambition threw me down, warring in heaven against heaven's matchless king. So, yes, um, we've already spoken about how conscious sort of brings about conscience, brings about despair, and how the sun. Has brings him a memory of how brightly he shone and how high he was up, uh, set above things before, of course, he went to war with God and, and lost that war and became fallen. And wherefore, he deserved no such return from me, whom he created what I, whom he created what I was in that bright eminence, and with his good unbraided none, nor was his service hard. What could be less than to afford him praise, the easiest recompense? And pay him thanks, how do you? Yet all this good proved ill in me, and wrought but malice. Lifted up so high, I disdained, that's disdained, subjection, and thought one step higher would set me highest, and in a moment quit the debt immense of endless gratitude, so burthensome, still paying, still to owe, forgetful what from him I received, and understood not that a grateful mind, by owing, owes not, but still pays, at once, indebted and discharged. What burden then? It's interesting that he is interrogating himself here. So he, he, he grew tired of the need to pay tribute to God. And as we learned in previous chapters, that was ultimately what God most wanted from his angels. He wanted and he, he wants the we learn later on in this chapter that he wants the obedience of man. And he wants but he wanted the praise and the obedience of his angels. And Satan ultimately came to, through imagining himself in a higher spot, in God's spot, he also became resentful of the need to, to be subjugated. And he saw the thanks and the praise that he was given that he felt obliged to give. He felt that that was too much of a, bo a burden to, to hold. But it's interesting that, that, that he almost comes to an understanding here when he interrogates himself. And says, you know, uh, forgetful from that what from him I still received and understood not that a grateful mind by owing owes not, 
but still pays at once indebted and discharged. What burden then? So through gratitude, we, we, through feeling gratitude, through feeling that we do owe something, it becomes effortless to pay gratitude and to express gratitude. And through the expression of our gratitude, we repay our debt. So almost through this natural feeling of understanding that we owe, we repay the debt of owing through the natural gratitude that flows from it. So Satan almost understands that this isn't a burden. Um, it's something that's ultimate, ultimately natural and unforced. So what happened with him? He's asking himself. Oh, had this powerful destiny ordained me some inferior angel, I had stood then happy. No unbounded hope had raised ambition. So he's saying that he was so close to God, he could see. He could see what he could become. He was one step away, you know, as one of the highest angels. I think he was a seraphim. He was one of the highest angels and yet one of the closest to God. And so through being so close, he could see the apex and he desired to be part of that. OK, so he now says, well, well if I was an inferior angel, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I would have been fine with it. Yet why not? Some other power as great might have aspired, and me, though mean, drawn to this part, but other powers as great fell not, but stand unshaken from within, or from without, to all temptations armed. Hadst thou the same free will and power to stand? So he's asking himself that, did he have the same power and free will to stand? Would he have had the same power and free will to stand against God if he was a lesser angel? So this is he's asking himself this question. Um, thou hadst, he says. Whom hast thou then, or what to accuse, but heaven's free love de dealt equally to all? And then this love accursed, since love or hate to me alike, it deals eternal woe. Nay, cursed be thou, since against his thy will chose freely what it now so justly rues me miserable which way shall i fly infinite wrath and infinite despair which way i fly is hell myself am hell and in the lowest deep a lower deep still threatening to devour me opens wide to which the hell i suffer seems a heaven so this is that he still feels the need to rebel. He says that he was created a free being and therefore being created a free being because ultimately there's an interesting argument about determinism and indeterminism here, whether Satan really has a choice in that sense through being given a choice. There's lots of paradoxes here about free will because pretty much all discourse on free will is paradoxical. But he says that, um, I guess he says that, look, he's been created free. Now we find out that God created the angels free because he didn't want them to be robots. He created them free because he wanted to feel that their praise was genuine. But of course, with Satan, he felt through this freedom, he desired more than what he had. He, f he feigned reverence. Um, whether you know again whether God knew about whether this is feigned reverence or not I don't know I guess he did because he is all knowing and there's nothing in paradise lost this is of course Satan's way of seeing things but so far from what we have seen of Milton's God he he knows everything he, he knows everything that's happening so he probably would have seen and been very prepared for the rebellion because of that and again he says also that, that he carries hell with him within him 
um, and how he still seeks to, 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 but he's also aware that, so he says, which way I fly is hell. Myself am hell. And in the lowest deep, a lower deep still threatening to devour me opens wide to which the hell I suffer seems a heaven. He's very aware that greater punishment can await. Um, that, that ultimately there was still a degree of freedom in hell. They were still able in the in the first book to raise themselves from their supine positions and create a big massive power tower hall palace thingy in the middle of hell and fly their flags and play their trumpets and stuff and um, when satan leaves hell they're all having a bit of a dos as well they're all throwing rocks about and doing philosophy and just everyone just seems really busy doing stuff in hell so as as bad as it seems there seems to be plenty of, of room for leisure in hell let's just say um in milton's hell at least Okay, but he's so he knows it could get worse, and maybe that's what he's aware of. Um, and in the lowest deep, the lower deep still threatening to devour me opens wide. Oh, then at last, relent. Is there no place left for repentance? None for pardon left, none left but by submission. And that word disdain forbids me, and my dread of shame among the spirits beneath whom I seduced with other promises and other vaunts, then to submit, boasting, I could subdue the omnipotent. I, me, they little know how dearly I abide that boast so vain, under what torments inwardly I groan, while they adore me on the throne of hell, with diadem and sceptre high advanced, the lower still I fall, only supreme, line break, in misery. Such joy ambition fides, but finds, but say I could repent and could obtain by act of grace my former state. How soon would I recall high thoughts? How soon unsay what feigned submission swore? Ease would recant vows made in pain as violent and void. For never can true reconcilement grow where wounds of deadly hate have pierced so deep. Satan is completely irredeemable. He understands this within himself, that even if he groveled to God, begged forgiveness and was reinstated into heaven. And I think some of this comes from the meeting that the demons have in book two of Paradise Lost. Um, because of this, he knows that that same resentment will flow up and that, yes, even if he seemed earnest. I mean, this is uh, reminds me of torture, actually, the fact that torture is pretty much recognized as a useless way of getting information of people because people will say anything under duress when they're being tortured and so um, the things that satan would say you know in the midst of desperation would be undone by the ease of heaven at the same time and then the same things within him would would, would start circling round again and he'd once again, again become resentful and rebellious which would but lead me to a worse relapse and heavier fall so should I purchase dear short intermission bought with double smart. Lovely line there. Short intermission bought with double smart. And he knows that God knows this. He says, this knows my punisher. Therefore, as far from granting he as I from begging peace, all hope excluded thus. Behold, instead of us outcast exiled, his new delight, mankind created and for him this world. So, Farewell, hope, 
and with hope farewell fear, farewell remorse. All good to me is lost, evil be thou my good, by thee at least divided empire with heaven's king I hold by thee, and more than half perhaps will reign as many along, and this new world shall know. So he re- yeah, he says ultimately at the end, okay, God won't, God, God will never forgive me. God knows what the scoop is as well. I know what the scoop is. We know which the only way that this can go. So all that can happen is I can come here. I can ruin heaven. And actually by ruining heaven, I condemn the human race to hell. And now I can, uh, so I'm already, I think he says, is it one third? I rule one third. Um, I will rule more if I corrupt the earth, if I corrupt Eden, if I corrupt the race of humankind. So he thinks it's a good game. It's a good game. Even if he's back into hell, his 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 world that he commands has got bigger. His power in many ways, as, as fettered as he is, his dominion has grown. So that, that that's what sets him on his course to carry on. What, meanwhile, by the way, he's still he's still a cherub when he's having this little soliloquy. He's just arrived and he hasn't changed his form, so he still looks like a cherub. Thus, while he spake, each passion dimmed his face, thrice changed with pale ire, envy and despair, which marred his borrowed visage, because it's not his actual face, and betrayed him counterfeit, if any eye beheld. For heavenly minds from such distempers foul are ever clear. So he's not wearing the count. His, his, his emotions are showing on his face. He obviously isn't an angel if anyone could see him because angels just never, they never feel such resentment and distemper. Whereof he soon aware each perturbation smoothed with outward calm, artificer of fraud, and was the first to practice falsehood under saintly shoe. So it implies here that lying began with Satan and he knew how to hide his malice. Deep malice to conceal, couched with revenge, yet not enough had practised to deceive Uriel, once warned, whose eye pursued him down the way he went, and on the Assyrian mount saw him disfigured, more than could befall spirit of happy sort, his gestures fierce, he marked and mad demeanour, then alone, as he supposed, all unobserved, unseen. So the jig's up as far as that is concerned. Uriel, who has let him go down, has still been watching him. And because I guess that's his job. <laughs> so he's still watching him from afar. And he spots these these strange, malevolent humours within the face of this cherub, before the cherub remembers himself. And he knows that something's afoot. So we'll get back to that. We will get back to what Uriel is thinking and doing. But for now, we're following Satan. And I'm going to skim over quite a few bits now. Um, there's a few passages and they're quite pastoral. So they, they ultimately give a, um, a, um, a description of heaven. Uh, I mean, I mean of, of Eden. And they definitely follow the the um the pastoral traditions the kind of part the traditions of writing um poems set within the countryside and and giving a quite uh idealized view of nature as well milton himself was no um he was no stranger to the pastoral he wrote a very famous elegy a pastoral elegy called lycidas um about a friend of his that died 
um, but it was set again. It was set within a pastoral setting, which is normally that has the voice of a shepherd speaking as well, maybe addressing their loved one. Um, a few little things. So firstly, it's very overgrown. Um, it's it's actually uh, described as grotesque and wild, but grotesque is spelt G-R-O-T-T-E-S-Q-U-E. And it doesn't mean grotesque as in uh, ugly. It's more um, gro- like a grotto, it means, like a grotto. But the, certainly the wildness of heaven is is spoken about here. It's very un- I mean, heaven. Sorry, I keep saying heaven. It's paradise. It's it's Eden. What am I getting? I'm getting all mixed up because paradise is paradise, heaven or Eden. I guess it's both. Um, but it's referred to as a woody theater as well. And now a theater could be sort of seen as the clearing, but it's also um, it's seen as the, the, the stage in which the drama unfolds in this particular Christian epic that uh, Milton is is writing. Um, and so it, it here starts referring to Adam uh, as our general sire um, because he sired all of us. And um, it continues to sort of talk about humid bows, you know, a rainbow. And I'm going to skip over lots of it. So that I'm going to stick with the story beats, I guess. Um, and I'm going to skip over the beautifully written, beautifully wrought, beautifully constructive um, pastoral passages. Because I don't want to be, we don't, your time is precious. Well, I know you're probably locked in your, your house right now listening to this. Uh, well, maybe not. I don't know. It depends when you're listening to it. So, but you don't want to listen to me reading out pastoral poetry anyway. So Satan arrives, he finds it overgrown and he actually can't get past these overgrown bits. But in the end, there's a wall and he bounds over it. He just leaps over it. So I'll read some of um, Milton's verse here. And in contempt at one slight bound, high overlapped all bound of hill or highest wall and sheer within lights on his feet. So he lands in Eden. As when a prowling wolf, whom hunger drives to seek new haunt for prey, watching where shepherds pen their flocks at eve in hurdled coats amid the field secure, leaps over the fence with ease into the fold, or as a thief bent to unhoard the cash of some rich burger whose substantial doors cross barred and bolted fast fear no assault, in at the window climbs, or over the tiles, so clomb this first grand thief into God's fold. The slight, so you know, this is the God, the shepherd, is very much um, hinted at here, and Satan is the wolf. Um, also, perhaps, shows God to be a neglectful shepherd, perhaps? Anyway, so since his church lewd hirelings climb... So there's another dig, I'm guessing, maybe into... I don't know if that's another dig, dig at the papists here from Milton, because he wasn't too fond of them. But he speaks about people sneaking in and corrupting. So Satan's creeping into Eden like lewd hirelings have crept into the church. Thence up he flew, and on the tree of life, the middle tree and highest tree, there that grew, sat like a cormorant, Yet not true life were thereby regained, but sat devising death to them who lived, nor on the venture fought that life-giving plant, but only used for prospect, meaning he's only, well, I'll go into detail about this at the moment, in a minute, what well used that been the pledge of immortality. So little knows any but God alone to value right the good before him, but perverts best things to worse abuse or to their meanest use. So Satan leaps over the fence, lands on the tree of life, doesn't realise he's on the tree of life. Now, the tree of life is not the tree of knowledge. 
I get mixed up myself. The tree of knowledge, which is obviously the, the famous tree that Adam and Eve eat from, um, and in some ways it is also the tree of death because of what it contains. Um, there is the tree of life. And I don't know too much about the tree of life, but I just know it's not the tree of knowledge. Um, perhaps it's the holiest tree. I don't know if it's a tree that, whose fruit gives um, eternal life. I don't really know. I didn't really research it. I know I should have. What can you do? So he lands on the tree of life, but he doesn't know that he's sat in the most sacred, sacred vegetable in 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 Eden. He just he just sees it as something. To, it's the highest tree I can see. I can see over here. So um, the long pastoral sequence, because now Satan is looking over heaven, it continues. And a few more details here. So um, talking about how God ordained the garden. So the garden God ordained out of the fertile ground. He caused to grow all trees of noblest kind for sight, smell, taste. And all amid them stood the tree of life. High eminent, blooming ambrosial fruit of vegetable gold. And next to life, our death, the tree of knowledge, grew fast by. Knowledge of good bought dear by knowing ill we are once again returning to that idea of knowledge is knowledge a sin and i think part of it is is that you, you, i do wonder looking at the ideas behind this is it that we can only live in paradise we can only live in eden um the fall is is almost like a fall of the mind um that by not by by it, in order to know what good is we have to know what ill is and by knowing ill that corrupts everything so there is a certain sort of blissful state of mind that god wants to keep them in and yet knowledge is available knowledge is right there next to the tree of life albeit knowledge available with the accompanying um the accompanying declaration that they're not allowed to eat it so Yes, it carries on again, very unkempt, beautiful aspect, beautiful passages of pastoral poetry that like Satan flying oblivious over the beauties of the Garden of Eden, just looking for things that he can pick apart. I am now flying over these wonderful passages of Miltonian poetry, uh, some of the greatest poetry written by one of the greatest English poets to have ever lived. And I'm just flying over myself just to get to the next juicy narrative beat. Satan has looked over all of it and it says, from this Assyrian garden, this is line 285, if you are even attempting to follow. Uh, from this Assyria garden where the fiends saw undelighted all delights, all kind of living creatures new to sight and strange. It's a wonderful passage that I had to read out here. To a far nobler shape, erect and tall, godlike erect. I know what you're thinking, listener. With native honour clad, in naked majesty seemed lords of all, and worthy seemed. For in their looks divine, the image of their glorious maker shone. Truth, wisdom, sanctitude, severe and pure, severe but in true filial freedom placed. Whence true authority in men, though both not equal, as their sex not equal seen. Let's unpack this, shall we? Let's just unpack, um, unpack the casual sexism in the passages. So, um... Yes, we know that the, 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 uh, the, the two creatures that, that Satan spies here um, within heaven are both um, erect. Erect meaning obviously standing on two feet, on two legs, bipedal, 
bipedal creatures. And it's in, it's said here, it's implied that it is godlike. So that when we think of uh, God in heaven, uh, the way he's described, remember, we can't really see his face. He's kind of partially obscured, I think. You can see his kind of hands in his feet, but there's too much light and blinding stuff. And so while Christ can be seen, God ultimately, I guess, in, in within Milton's God, within this within this work, looks like a man, even though it's one you can't really look at and get the true sense of what he actually looks like so but but so reason why we get to these godlike bipedal animals is that they are obviously they are built in the image of god so reason why um if we look at michelangelo's adam <laughs> what am i talking about leonardo da vinci's adam um in in that famous painting we know that ultimately he looks like god because he's been created in god's image um according to that mindset Okay, so um, also Eve, as I said, yeah, unpacking the sexism, um, they're not equal um, because God created Adam in his image and Eve was created from Adam from his rib. Now, um, there are references, there are meant to be references within Paradise Lost that, that address the seeming contradiction within genesis because there's one chapter that says that man adam and eve were created at the same time and then a late a later verse says that uh eve was created from adam via his rib so um so so there's that contradiction so but but as far as milton's attitude is concerned he sees women here as inferior to men he sees men adam as having the direct relationship with god because he is of god and then Eve is one removed from God and she sort of worships man, I guess. She worships Adam. She sees Adam as her superior. And through that, she does her duty to God by doing it through her duty to Adam. Um, this is all obviously Milton's Milton's ideas here, but all ideas of his time. Okay, so. Not equal as their sex not equal seemed for count contemplation he and valour formed. For softness she and sweet attractive grace. So that's their, their purposes. Is, uh, Adam's purpose is to be valorous, is to be brave and to sit there and seriously think about stuff. All very male and heroic. Whereas it's, it's, it's uh, Eve's job to be soft and sweet and attractive and graceful. Um, and then, as I've already said, he for God only, she for God in him. His fair large front and I sublime declared so his front is his forehead and I sublime declared absolute rule and hyacinth and locks round from his parted forelock manly hung longish hair but very manly clustering but not beneath his shoulders broad she is a veil down to the slender waist her unadorned golden tresses wore so she's sort of covered up slightly by her golden hair she's naked but she's um not quite naked because her her golden tresses are forming a kind of veil here. Dishevelled, but in wanton ringlets waved. So it's not dishevelled as in like looking a proper state, but obviously sort of unkempt, natural. As the vine curls her tendrils, which implied subjection, but required with gentle sway, and by her yielded, by him best received. Yielded with coy submission. Modest pride. A lovely oxymoron there. Modest pride. Taking pride in her modesty. Um, calls to mind that Donald Trump interview when uh, he was spoken about how he wasn't modest and he said, um, I am one of the most modest people I know. <laughs> or something like that, didn't he? I'm the most modest guy there's ever been. Um, so, um, yeah, but I don't think, I think 
Milton's being a bit smarter here. So modest pride, what does modest pride mean? Perhaps there is just a pride, they sort of a pride in their duties, but a, a pride in their appearances, but it is a, 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 a gentle pride, perhaps, a modest pride, even though it's quite oxymoronic. Okay, and sweet, reluctant, amorous de delay. Nor those mysterious parts were then concealed. He is talking about genitals here. Then was not guilty shame, dishonest shame of nature's works, honour, dishonourable, sin-bred. How have ye troubled all your mankind with shoes instead, mere shoes of seeming pure, and banished from man's life his happiest life, simplicity and spotless innocence. Here Milton is comparing, I guess, I mean, he was a Puritan himself, but uh, maybe he's he's comparing the sort of false puritanism of people who make a show of modesty um who still lead lustful lives and have lustful thoughts whereas he's comparing it to the innocence of two naked people who are utterly at at one with nature as it's understood to be here um while at the same time not being sinful so this idea of sin actually being almost about the duplicity perhaps and the shoes the pretense at being pure so passed they naked on, nor shunned the sight of God or angel, for they fought no ill. So hand in hand they passed, the loveliest pair that ever since in love's embraces met. Adam, the goodliest man of men since born, his sons, the fairest of her daughters, Eve, under a tuft of shade that on a green stood whispering soft by a fresh fountain side, they laid them down, and after no more toil, their sweet gardening labour then sufficed to recommend cool zephyr that's a wind and made ease more easy wholesome first and appetite more grateful to their supper fruits they fell nectarine fruits which the compliant boughs yielded them sidelong as they sat recline on the soft downy bank demasked with flowers the savoury pulp they chew and in the rind still as they first did scoop the brimming stream nor gentle purpose, nor endearing smiles wanted, nor youthful dalliance as beseems fair couple, linked in happy nuptial league, alone as they. Um, a little reference to work there, and I guess this is that Protestant work ethic, isn't it? Which is, they still work in the garden, so while it is paradise, they still actually work trying to, they're, they're basically gardeners, and they're, they're gardening within this great unkempt, expanse of eden that's a little bit too much work for them but they still find meaning within the work and gratitude within the work and that gratitude allows them to enjoy their their rest even more so it's this perfect blend so um unlike maybe how some people might think eden would just be adam and eve walking about the gardens and the gardens looking like already like some kind of orchard or botanical garden that probably needs an army of gardeners you know if we look at the paintings an army of gardeners to tend um, Milton's Eden is very wild and they do have to work in it but in the work they find greater gratitude for the pleasures of Eden as well be it rest and the fruits and the waters and so on and their own company so now here's a lovely description of the animals of Eden and how they don't eat each other. About them frisking played all beasts of the earth since wild and all of and all of chase in wood or wilderness, forest or den, sporting the lion ramped and in his paw dandled the kid. Uh, the lion, the, 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 the lion with the baby goat. I know it's normally a lion and a lamb, isn't it? But this baby goat and the lion pat, playing together. Bears, tigers, ounces, pards gambled before them. 
And then this is a lovely one here. The unwieldy elephant to make them mirth used all his might and wreathed his live proboscis. That's his nose. I'm sure you guessed that. Closed the serpent's sly insinuating wove with Gordian twine his breaded train. Um, that's meant to be braided, but it's spelt breaded. And of his fatal guile, guile gave proof unheeded. So... I'm not sure if it's implied that Satan is this snake right at this moment or if it's just the snake is a form that is befitting the snake that Satan will will adopt when he does have this um, moment of tempting Adam and Eve to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge. So, but I like the idea. I like the idea of the 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 the, uh, the elephant is there to to amuse everyone with his little tricks with his trunk and his strength. So... The sun's going down now, and now we get back to Satan looking at them. So when Satan, still in gaze, as first he stood, scarce thus at length failed, speech recovered, sad. So he, Satan has been watching them gobsmacked, and now he has another little soliloquy. Oh hell, what do mine eyes with grief behold into our room of bliss? Thy thus high advanced creatures of another mould, earthborn perhaps, not spirits, yet to heavenly spirits bright, little inferior. So he's noticed that these spirits, they're not spirits, they are creatures, they are physical, and yet they're not very inferior, they're just below the angels. And I think this freaks Satan out a bit. Maybe he really was expecting sort of a proper Ugg boy, you know, like uh, um, some 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 you know, some ancient species of human with a big old brow ridge and uh, and, and just uh, these sort of, you know, the, the, these more ignorant ape men. But no, he sees these almost angelic creatures instead. Whom my thoughts pursue with wonder and could love. So lively shines in them desire, divine resemblance and such grace. The hand that formed them on their shape have poured. Ah, and he's addressing them now, gentle bear. Obviously, they can't hear him. He's just speaking to them from a distance. Ye little think how nigh your change approaches when all these delights will vanish and deliver ye to woe. More woe, the more your taste is now of joy, happy, but for so happy, ill-secured, long to continue. And this high seat your heaven, ill-fenced for heaven, to keep out such a foe as now is entered. Yet no purposed foe to you whom I pity, thus forlorn, though I unpitied, league with you I seek. So... Um, just very quickly, uh, yes, there, there, this will, you know, this will vanish, he's going to take it away from them, um, and how it's ill-fenced for heaven, it was very easy for him to get in, and now, yeah, it's, 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 uh, um, you know, the, 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 the Eden cannot keep Satan or any of the demons out, this is what he's found out, so, uh, why, why are, this begs the question quite a bit because heaven is meant to be guarded by cherubs and there's all these gates and who, why, what's being kept out? If Satan just goes whoop, jumps over, then what's the point of all these fences? Okay, league with you I seek and mutual amity so straight, so close that I with you must well or you with me. Henceforth, my dwelling happily may not please like this fair paradise because he's going to take him to hell with him. Your sense yet such except you'll make his work he gave it me which i as freely give 
Hell shall unfold to entertain you to her widest gates and send forth all her kings. There will be room, not like these narrow limits, to receive your numerous offspring, if no better place. Thank him who puts me loath to this revenge, on you who wrong me not for him who wronged. It's a lovely line, isn't it? On you who wrong me not for him who wronged. It sort of slips off the tongue while contorting the brain at the same time. Um, Satan is, is exacting his revenge on them and he's saying it's not my fault, it's God who set this in motion. Honour an empire with revenge enlarged by conquering this new world compels me now to do what else though damned I should abhor. So Satan's, oh, I don't want to do it, but I gotta do it. You know, he made me do it. So spake the fiend, and with necessity the tyrant's plea excused his devilish deeds. Then from his lofty stand on that high tree, down he alights among the sportful herd of these four-footed kinds. Satan now starts trying on different shapes. He he, he starts shape-shifting from animal to animal here. So it says, um, of these four-footed kinds, himself now one, now other, as their shape served best his end, nearer to view his prey, and unaspied to mark what of their state he might more learn, by word or action marked about them round. A lion, now he stalks with fiery glare, then as a tiger, who by chance have spied in some purlude two gentle fawns at play, straight couches close, then rising changes oft his couch and watch, as one who chose his ground, whence rushing he must might surest seize them both, gripped in each paw. So he's, he's literally a tiger at this point, but he's also stalking them like a tiger, you could say. When Adam, first of men, to first of women Eve, thus moving speech, turned him all ear to hear new utterance flow. So um, he addresses um, he addresses Eve here. Adam and Eve have a little chat, um, and and so um, you know he addresses her. He talks about how perfect everything is around him, and then he says, "He who requires from us no other service than to keep this one, this easy, easy charge." Of all the trees in paradise that bear delicious fruits so various, not to taste that only tree of knowledge planted by the tree of life, so near grows death to life, whate'er death is. Right, so, you know, he's already been told, don't eat from that tree, otherwise there'll be death. And Adam's like, all right then, God, yeah, no worries. We'll stiff then. We'll stiff. He doesn't know. He doesn't know what death is. Um... <laughs> So that's why it sounds so cheerful, doesn't it? So near grows death to life, whate'er death is. Some dreadful thing, no doubt. For well thou knowest, God hath pronounced it death to taste that tree. So it must be bad, because God says it's bad. The only sign of our obedience left among so many signs of power and rule conferred upon us and dominion given. So Adam's quite easy going with what Satan did not like at all, which is we are in charge of Eden. Um, and our one, just literally our one duty is just not to eat the fruit of that tree. I mean, they're thankful. It shows that they're thankful later on in this in this book. But that's all they have to do. Fine. He's fine with it. Okay. But let us ever praise him and extol his bounty, following our delightful task to prune these growing plants and tend these flowers, which were it wholesome, yet with thee were sweet. Um, and now Eve finally responds to Adam. And she actually ends up telling, you know, she, she gives her praise to Adam. 
But then um, she speaks about the day she awoke. And it's a really interesting little passage. And how, um, but, but I am going to, because I'm looking at the time I'm taking to do this, and we're, we're nearly at an hour. So I'm going to quickly summarise a really wonderful passage in which she speaks about coming into existence and not knowing where she is and then approaching a river and seeing a beautiful creature in the river and that creature was actually her it's her reflection and then um i think she gets led on to, by god god speaks to her and sends her um to adam and at first when she sees adam she is she's scared of him because she he's not as fair and then she gives him another chance he calls her back and they uh become a wonderful couple i guess look it's a beautiful passage and i've just absolutely just glossed over it um please feel free to read it but anyway so so she sings her praises of him and gives a little bit of her origin story and she reiterates her devotion to him and she in in the end there's an interesting line at the end of this where she says um i yielded and from that time see how beauty is excelled by manly grace and wisdom which alone is truly fair um and fair is spelled f-a-i-r and I guess it's a little bit of a pun there because fair elsewhere is spelt when fair is in within this text is speaking about female beauty is F-A-I-R-E. So that's the fairness of Eve. But now she says fair wisdom, which is truly fair. Now, obviously, this is fair as in justice, fair as in uh, actually fair as in well thought and balanced and um, and and morally good. So. um and then here's here's an interesting so one of these little erotic passages pops up here. So so spake our general mother, and with eyes of conjugal attraction, unreproved, and meek surrender, half embracing, leaned on our first father, half her swelling breast, naked met his under the flowing gold of her loose tresses hid, he in delight both of her beauty and submissive charms smiled with superior love as jupiter on juno smiles when he impregnates the clouds that shed mayflowers and pressed her matron lip with kisses pure and then there's a big old semicolon just just cutting in there cutting in on the action um where we, we return to Satan, aside the devil turned for envy, yet with jealous Leah, malign, eyed them askance, and to himself thus plain, so pervy devil's just been watching all of it, sight hateful, sight tormenting, thus these two unparadised in one another's arms, the happier Eden shall enjoy their fill of bliss on bliss, while I to hell am thrust, where neither joy nor love but fierce desire so it's interesting how desire it, it follows a moment of desire between adam and eve but here it's uh it's just joy and love whereas desire is what satan feels rather than joy and love among our other torments not the least still unfulfilled with pain of longing pines yet let me not forget what i have gained from their own mouths all is not theirs it seems one fatal tree there stands of knowledge called, forbidden them to taste. Knowledge forbidden? Suspicious, reasonless. Why should their lord envy them that? Can it be sin to know? Can it be death? And do they only stand by ignorance? Is that their happy state? The proof of their obedience and their faith? O oh, fair foundation laid whereon to build via ruin. 
Hence, I will excite their minds with more desire to know and to reject envious commands invented with design to keep them low whom knowledge might exalt. Equal of gods, aspiring to be such, they taste and die. What likelier can ensue? So Satan is, is, is implying here that they might die. Um, but this is it. He knows that he can wreck the whole thing by getting them to eat the fruit. Now, I find it quite interesting. I guess the only difference between me and Milton Satan here is Milton wants them to die. He wants them to suffer. He wants to cause pain. But I have to say that line, can it be sin to know? Can it be death? Um, it, it, it is interesting. There's the term, isn't there? Ignorance is bliss. And it seems to be that ignorance is the price that they pay for that bliss. The con There is a contradiction, which is, how can you command people not to do something if they don't know what good and evil is? If a tree is a tree of knowledge of good and evil, then how how can there any actions be moral um, if they're not based on knowledge? So, again, this is an interesting thing. I don't know. Maybe that's the whole point. Maybe they're meant to choose to suffer so they can be truly good, but it has to be their choice. But then again, that's not an informed choice. So how can you call it a choice? find it very contradictory so satan's off he's like right what am i going to do he uh he, he's 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 going off to some other part of the garden just to think about how he's gonna how he's going to exercise his plan meanwhile uriel remember him the seraphim <laughs> uriel remember him the seraphim if ever i write a, a, a musical for paradise lost there's there's a there's my my show stealing number there so um Uriel approaches Gabriel, who is basically the head of security, and he he tells him what he saw. He says, "Look, there's 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 a there's a cherub who seemed very curious to check out Eden, so I let him walk down, but then he turned out I, I kept watching him, and he turned out to be a bit of a wrongun. He looked like he was a bit of a wrongun." And Gabriel says, "Yeah, that sounds like someone's from hell. It sounds like one of that lot. Someone of that lot's got into heaven, haven't they?" Um, He's very casual about this, I have to say. He's quite casual. He says, Hard thou knowest it to exclude spiritual substance from with corporeal bar. So spiritual substance is that these these Satan and the, and the demons and all the fallen angels, they're spiritual creatures. So it's hard with real physical walls because Eden is a physical place. It's hard to keep them out. Again, who are they guarding against? That's the question we have to ask. Okay, um, with corporeal bar... But if within the circuit of his walks, in whatsoever shape he lurk, of whom thou tellst, by morrow dawning I shall know. So he's, again, very casual. I'll, I'll know by tomorrow. And off they go. And now a beautiful passage I will read out. I know I've been skimming over a lot of this divine poetry, but I'll read some of it out. So the evening is coming to Eden now. Now came still evening on, and twilight grey had in her sober livery all things clad. Silence accompanied for beast and bird. They to their grassy couch, these to their nests were slunk. All but the wakeful nightingale. She all night long her amorous descant sung. Silent was pleased. Now glowed the firmament with living sapphires. Hesperus, which is Venus, um, that led the starry host, rode brightest till the moon rising in clouded majesty at length. Apparent queen unveiled her peerless light and over the dark her silver mantle grow through even. When Adam Vuster Eve, fair consort the hour, um, sorry, but Adam Vuster Eve, he's speaking to her now. And he says how the, the, the 
night has come and now it's time for us to sleep because we must rise for labor tomorrow and then eve asks adam what are these you know why what are these things why are these stars who are they who are they there for so she she pledges her obedience she reaffirms her obedience to adam but then she asks him what, what what's the point of all the stars and all this nighttime stuff like the nightingale singing um, to which he replies that there are other creatures that the light serves, that it kind of preps them for sunlight. But he also speaks about how angels walk the garden as well. So, um, so um, yeah, so, so angels walk the garden and it's just as much for them as it is for us. And uh, that's how he fobs off that particular question. Um, OK. So they, they decide they're going to go to bed and they're going to go back to their little home. And their little home's quite interesting because it's like a bower. It's, a sort of, I guess, somewhere homemade from wood, but it's not been fashioned by them. It's been fashioned by God. Um, well, maybe not. I don't know. It was a place chosen by the sovereign planter. So thus taking hand in hand alone, they passed on to their blissful bower. It was a place chosen by the sovereign planter when he framed all things to man's delightful use. So it's definitely God. So it's 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 interesting. It's like a house, but it's a house that's grown naturally from all this natural trees and branches and vines and other things that's just sort of grown together to just form a kind of house for them to live in. So chosen by the sovereign planter when he framed all things to man's delightful use, the roof of thickest covert was inwoven shade, laurel and myrtle, and what higher grew of firm and fragrant leaf on either side, a canvas, and each odorous bushy shrub fenced up the verdant wall, each beauteous flower iris or hues, roses and gessamine. Oh, by the way, roses don't in Eden they don't have fawns. Um, much like the song by the 80s hair metal band Poison. Although they say it must have the fawn. See, Poison understood the sort of post-fall knowledge equals pain mindset, I think. Um, Roses and guessmen reared high their flourished heads between and wrought mosaic. Underfoot the violet, crocus and hyacinth, with rich inlay, broidered the ground, more coloured then with stone of costliest emblem. So the ground is made of all these flowers and again it's like a really it's like a palatial little house but it's but it's not it's all grown from natural stuff. Now he says no creature enters here so other creature here beast bird insect or worm durst enter none. There was a such was their awe of man. Well they lost that quickly enough anyone who's ever had a mouse or a rat in their house. Um, you know what as I said that as I said you know so so these creatures didn't enter the house because they have awe of man and a fly landed on the screen that I was reading from as if to mock me to mock Milton to mock mankind anyway he's gone now so here in close recess with flowers garlands and sweet smelling herbs espoused Eve decked first her nuptial bed and heavenly choirs the hymnanian sung what day the genial angel to our sire brought her in naked beauty more adorned, more lovely than Pandora, whom the gods endowed of all their gifts. So it's interesting, though, that she is compared to Pandora. Pandora obviously being known as the one who, um, can't remember where it was now, in the, uh, where it was in the story, in legend, but obviously she was um, the one who brought who her husband or someone trusted her with a box and said don't open it and then it basically had all the evils of the world that she released but hope came out as well just to sort everything out so that was good but um but but so it's a similar thing here eden of course because she's the one she's the one who got us in this shambles dearie me her and a devil we can't but for some reason adam 
Well, I've, you know, we've not got to that point yet, but, you know, Adam doesn't get much of the blame, though he does get the punishment as well. Okay. So they sing their praises to God before going to sleep, or, well, maybe not straight to sleep, if you know what I mean. Thou also mates the night, maker omnipotent, and vow the day, which we in our appointed work employed have finished happy in our mutual help and mutual love, the crown of all our bliss ordained by thee in this delicious place for us to too large, where thy abundance wants partakers and uncropped falls to the ground. But thou hast promised from us to a race to fill the earth, who shall with us extol thy goodness infinite, infinite, both when we wake and when we seek as now thy gift of sleep. So they sort of say, well, we've had a good day's work. Obviously, there's a bit too much work for us, but we still are happy in this work. But we know that we will. You've promised us a race and more of us will be born. More will be born from us and they can help with the garden as well. So ultimately, the idea seems to be that the human race is just going to be a bunch of gardeners. Um, just doing some gardening, living happily and all that kind of stuff until we get the tree of knowledge and ruined it all. Okay, so it moves on to another little moment between them. I did say they're going to sleep or maybe a little something before sleep. Into their inmost bower handed they went and eased the putting off these troublesome disguises which we wear straight side by side were laid. So obviously if a man and his wife lie down in their bed together, they get undressed, but of course, um, and they put aside their disguises, their personas. That's us in our fallen forms. But of course, Adam and Eve don't have to do that, do they? They can just lie down next to each other in exactly the same way they were before they went to bed. Uh, straight side by side blade, nor turned I weaned Adam from his fair spouse, nor Eve the rites mysterious of connubial love refused. Whatever hypocrites austerely talk of purity and place and innocence defaming as impure what God declares pure and commands to some leaves free to all. Our makers bid increase, who bids abstain, but our destroyer, foe to God and man. Hail wedded love, mysterious law, true source of human offspring, sole proprietary. Remember he said mysterious parts before, so the mysterious law, I think is the law of reproduction. Um, he, Milton is ultimately, again, having a go at these Puritans, these puritanical people. Perhaps also... Um, it was a matter of debate, and I don't know if it still is, whether sex existed in, in Eden or whether it's part of our fallen condition. Milton doesn't believe it was. He believes that it was something that men, you know, that Adam and Eve enjoyed together and was utterly natural and it was completely in keeping with, with God's commandments. Okay. Sole proprietary in paradise of all things common else. By thee adulterous lust was driven from men, among the bestial herds to raunge by thee, founded in reason, loyal, just and pure. Relations dear and all the charities of father, son and brother first were known, far be it that I should write thee sin or blame. So that's just Milton speaking to himself really. Um, or think the unpervitting holiest place, perpetual fountain of domestic sweets, whose bed is undefiled and chaste pronounced, present or past, as saints and patriarchs used. Here love his golden shaft employs, here lights his constant lamp and waves his purple wings, reigns here and revels, not in the bought smile of harlots, he's having a go at sex workers now loveless joyless unendeared casual fruition nor in court amours mixed dance or wanton mask so the courtly tradition probably more to do with the earlier renaissance or maybe it carried on in milton's time probably did before they cut the king's head off but maybe the uh, charles ii brought all that back 
which the starved lover sings to his or serenette which the starved lover sings to his proud fair best quitted with disdain and again this for not foreshadowing uh here where he says sleep on blessed pair and oh yet happiest if ye seek no happier state and no to know no more I like that line no happier state and no to know no more little bit of a paradox obviously to know to know no more to know when what is enough knowledge i guess that's a kind of knowledge um slightly oxymoronic i'll leave that with you so meanwhile camera pans back up to heaven um gabriel is getting his troops ready he says you lot go over here now you two ethereal and zephon he gives them instructions now uh, so he says some to just sort of scour the boundaries between Eden and earth and heaven. But he tells these two specifically to go down into the garden and have a good old look, have a good old search for the wrongen, for the wrongen cherub. So if Furiel and Zephron with winged speed search through this garden, leave unsearched no nook, but chiefly where these two fair creatures lodge, now laid perhaps asleep secure of harm, this evening from the sun's decline arrived who tells of some eternal spirit seen, hitherward bent, who could have thought, escaped the bars of hell, on errand bad no doubt. Yet where ye find, cease fast and hither bring so he tells him, yeah, look, there's some devilish creature there. You find him, bring him here. So, and it gets straight to the action here. So saying, on he led his radiant files, dazzling the moon, these to the bower direct, in search of whom they sought, him there they found, squat like a toad, close at the ear of Eve. So now I don't know if Satan has just become very small and is crouched and is talking to Eve or whether he's actually become a toad and is a toad talking in Eve's ear, but that's where he is assaying by his devilish art to reach the organs of her fancy so he's speaking into her unconscious and with him forge illusions as he lists phantasms and dreams or if inspiring venom he might take the animal spirits that from pure blood arise like gentle breaths from rivers pure thence raise at least distempered discontented thoughts vain hopes and vain aims inordinate desires blown up with high conceits engendering pride so he's whispering in eve's ear trying to corrupt her him thus intent ethereal with his spear touched lightly so he Furiel just he doesn't even go why he, he get out of it yeah he uh he just gets his light he gets his spear and he gently touches the devil for no falsehood can endure a touch of celestial temper but returns of force to its own likeness up he starts discovered and surprised as satan takes on his original form form as when a spark lights on a heap of nitrous powder laid fit for the ton some magazine to store against a rumored war so you know like gunpowder again a little spark and boom up it goes the smutty grain with sudden blaze diffused inflames the air stoted up so started up in his own shape the fiend backstepped those two fair angels half amazed so sudden to behold the grisly king yet thus unmoved with fear with fear accost him soon so they ask him who he is which of these rebel spirits are judged to hell comest thou escaped thy prison and transformed why sayst thou like an enemy in wait here watching at the head of those that sleep and then satan's quite affronted that they don't know who he is you know he's like a you know like a i don't know just like a reality tv contestant from something five years ago 
getting annoyed when they're in a queue at B&Q and people don't know who they are. And they say, do you know who I am? And stuff like that. Satan's kind of like that. So he says, know ye not then, then uh, know ye not then, said Satan, filled with scorn. Know ye not me? Ye knew me once, no mate for you. There sitting where ye durst not soar, nor to know me argues yourselves unknown. For lowest off your throng, if ye know. Why ask ye, and superfluous begin, your message, like to end as such in vain? So Satan's saying, if you don't know who I am, Satan doesn't realise he looks very different in his fallen form as to how he did in heaven. But he's like, if you don't know who I am, man, you must be really low on the rung of, of angels if you don't know who I am. Um, to whom Vasephon answering scorn with scorn, think not revolted spirit, thy shape the same or undiminished brightness to be known as when thou stoodst in heaven upright and pure, that glory then, when thou no more wast good, departed from thee, and thou resemblest now thy sin and place of doom, obscure and foul. But come, for thou, be sure, shalt give account to him who sent us. That means we're taking you to Gabriel, whose charge is to keep this place inviolable and these from harm. And and is really casual about how he does it as well. Um, So, yeah, basically, we're taking you to say, we know who you are. It doesn't really make sense in a way. It's like one moment they know who he is. They don't know who he is. They're asking, but now they, they do know. I don't know. So spake the cherub, and his grave rebuke severe and youthful beauty added grace invincible. Abashed, the devil stood, and felt how awful goodness is, and saw virtue in her shape, how lovely, saw and pined his loss, but chiefly to find here observed his lustre visibly impaired, yet seemed undaunted. If my I must contend, said he, best with the best, the sender, not the sent, or all at once more glory will be won, or less be lost. Thy fear said Zephon bold, will save us trial than the least can do, single against the wicked and thence weak. So he's saying like all your responses already shown how guilty you are. The fiend replied not, overcome with rage, and like a proud steed reigned, went haughty on, champing his iron curb to strive or fly. He held it vain, or from above had quelled his heart, not else dismayed. So he's led now, he's led to Gabriel and they're describing, you know, that, that they've seen him, you know, they, they found him in heaven talking to Eve and they, uh, and then Gabriel turns around to Satan and says, what were you doing there? Um, and yeah, that's what they want to know. What were you doing there? So to, to whom thus Satan with contemporous brow, Gabriel, thou hadst in heaven the esteemed of wise and such I held thee. But this question asked puts me in doubt lives there who loves his pain who would not finding way break loose from hell though thither doomed thou wouldst thyself no doubt and boldly venture to whatever place earth farthest from pain where thou mightst look to change torment with ease and soon soonest recompense dull with delight which in this place i sought to thee no reason who knowst only good but evil hast not tried and wilt object his will who bound us. Let him sure abar his iron gates if he intends to stay in that dark durance. Thus, much what... what <laughs> sorry, I'm completely... Blah, 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 blah. Thus, much what was asked, the rest is true. They found me where they say, but that implies not violence or harm. That's a really long-winded way. I guess my way of rephrasing that would be saying the saying, why are you asking me what I'm here? I thought you were clever. I'm here because, you know, you put me in the worst place in the world. So why wouldn't I be here? 
you know, have I done anything wrong? Thus he in scorn the warlike angel moved, disdainfully half smiling, thus replied, O loss of one in heaven to judge of why, since Satan fell, whom folly overthrew, See, he's been sarcastic now. And now returns him from his prison, escaped gravely in doubt whether to hold them wise or not. Who asked what boundless brought him hither, unlicensed from his bounds in hell prescribed? So wise he judges it to fly from pain. However, and to escape his punishment, so judge thou still presumptuous, still the wrath which thou incursed by flying, meet thy flight sevenfold, and scourge that wisdom back to hell, which taught thee yet no better that no pain can equal anger infinite provoked um so yeah he, he says look you, you're going to be punished because you're meant to stay in hell i mean it's quite obvious really so um yeah um but wherefore thou alone wherefore with thee came not all hell broke loose yeah why didn't you bring anyone with you is pain to them less pain less to be fled or thou then they less hardy to endure courageous chief the first in flight from pain hadst thou alleged to thy deserted host his cause of flight thou surely so his deserted host is his army of of fallen archangels this cause of flight thou surely hast not come sole fugitive so he's asking the old line did you come alone typical good cop bad cop interrogation happening here to which the fiend thus answered frowning stern not that I less endure or shrink from pain, insulting angel. Well, thou knowst I stood, thy fiercest, when in battle to thy aid. The blasting volleyed thunder made all speed, and seconded thy else not dreaded spear. So this is quite, you know, he's having another little pop saying, look, mate, I would have beaten you up in heaven if it wasn't for the big man with his thunderbolts. Ain't so big without your mates, he's basically saying. Um, he actually says that he, he kind of, uh, well... Um, a faithful leader, not to hazard all through waves of danger by himself untried, I therefore, I alone, first undertook to wing the desolate abyss and spy this new created world, whereof in hell fame is not silent, here in hope to find better abode and my afflicted powers to settle here on earth and in mid-air, thy full possession put to try once more what thou and thy gay legions dare against whose easier business were to serve their lord high up in heaven with songs to him his throne and practice distances to cringe not fight um so satan says well yeah i'm a good leader I, I, it's very dangerous getting here so i went out on my own to do it to which gabriel says ah gotcha gotcha mate a sacred name of faithfulness profaned faithful to whom to thy rebellious crew army of fiends fit body to fit head um, so he's, and he also says he calls him a liar traced because he's saying one wait, wait, one moment you're saying well why wouldn't I flee from hell but now you're saying oh no you're going on recon because you want to save everyone else and you're going through danger so so you know both both of these explanations contradict each other um, to which he says and now this is the thing Gabriel right just says how's he going to punish you're thinking okay Satan's already thought I'm going to get worse punishment for this. What does Gabriel say? Gabriel just says, go on, sling your rook. Honestly, this is what he says. He says, um, 
To mark what I read thee now, avant, fly thither whence thou flitst. If from this hour within these hallowed limits thou appear, back in the eternal pit I drag thee chained, and seal thee so as henceforth not to scorn the facile gates of hell, too lightly barred. So threatened he, but Satan to no threats gave heed, but waxing more in rage replied. So, so yeah, he just says, sling your hook, get out of it. You get off you, you be off. Um, it's not really the most rigid security, is it? You'd think maybe, I mean, maybe God can't be bothered. Maybe God's already judged him, but you'd think they would at least, you know, escort him back to hell, throw him in and do everything they've just threatened. But he's just sort of said, yeah, off you go. Now, to be fair, Satan has a bit of an ace in the hole here, doesn't he? Satan's like, oh, right. I could just act like, oh, you taught me. And then sneak back in. But, um, he doesn't, he gets angry and he kind of basically calls them a bunch of slaves, um he, he he says you know that they're uh you know they're just too obedient to god and uh they're under the they're, they're they're under the cosh they get angry and they surround him with their spears all the angels and gabriel and then satan suddenly sort of becomes this large massive creature so on the other side satan alarm collected all his might dilated stood like tenerife or Atlas unremoved, his stature reached the sky, and on his crest sat horror plumed. So Satan becomes this big, he's ready to kick off now. Um, at which point God finally notices from the heavens, Milton's God, and he sets um, an image of some scales in the sky. And then Gabriel, just to add to this, says, Satan, I know thy strength, and thou knowest mine, neither our own, but given what folly then to boast what arms can do, since thine no more than heaven permits, nor mine, though doubled now, to trample thee as mire, for proof look up, and read thy lot in yon celestial sign, where thou art weighed, and show how light, how weak, if thou resist. So, Gabriel says, look up at that sign in the sky, I am as powerful as God makes me, you are as powerful as God has made you. I will defeat you. You can't miss. To which in the final lines of this book, the fiend looked up and knew his mounted scale aloft no more, but fled murmuring and with him fled the shades of night. So off he goes, he flies off. I mean, Gabriel's a bit like a, a nightclub bouncer here, isn't he? You know what I mean? Someone kicks off in a nightclub and they just get thrown out onto the street um, to wait for the people that they were, I don't know, attacking and fighting to like leave the nightclub later on so they can beat them up again without a bouncer to stop them. Uh, I, I, I find it pretty, I don't know, a bit of a light punishment. I don't know if they're just, I don't know if it's they're casual because they know it's all part of the plan and that God has already maybe spoken to them and said, look, you know, they know the plan is that is if, if Eden falls, then Christ will will be born and will sacrifice, be, become a sacrifice for the sin of men, and then there will be a way of, of man to enter heaven and avoid hell. So it could be that that's the reason why they are so casual. But for me, it just, just makes me laugh, just in a way that they're just, just oh yeah, all right, go on, off you go, sling your rook, get out of it. And that's it. That's the might of the, the, the guarding of, of, of Eden from, from the um, seraphim and the cherubs. So that that is where it's left. That's the end of book four. I'm going to try and get book five done a lot sooner 
because it's been two months, isn't it? Yeah, here is the time for the gnashing of teeth and the self-flagellation and the uh, overdue apologies. Um, but I'll, I'll just do this very quickly because uh, I've notched up. I mean, this might get shorter with my edits, but I've notched up nearly an hour and a half here. So definitely this is long enough. So I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I hope that, that you've carried on with uh, Paradise Lost. Uh, maybe you're, you've been reading it and you've gone way ahead of me. I don't know. But hopefully, I don't know if you have tried that. I don't know if I've illumined some of it for you. I'm going to try and be back with a normal Rusty Sonnets. I'm going to say it next week. Okay. I'm back on it now. Now, I have to say that my, I don't know how you guys are doing. I think I said this last time around, but my concentration has been shot to hell. This hasn't helped with me having lots of other stuff to do, as I'm sure you have a lot of stuff to do as well. But I, uh, my concentration really, I had to kind of build it back up. I had to build up my concentration back up again in order to just get stuff done. Um, but I have, a, I have a lot less on my plate now than I had before. So I reckon I could get another, I could push out another podcast. So it won't be, the next one won't be Paradise Lost Book Club, but I will get back onto the next Paradise Lost Book Club after that one, because I'd like to catch up because it's June and I did say we do one a month. And this is basically what should have been the April one, I do believe. So um, it'd be good to catch up at least one more and then maybe have another two next month and then we can go back to once a month again. But right now, I've got a bit more time on my hands. Um, I no longer run a really busy open mic on the Tuesday night and I haven't done for a while. Uh, yeah, so so anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you've just discovered it and wondered when I would do it again, um, I, I think I'm back on track now. Um, thank you to everyone who's, who's helped and whether it's been through sharing the podcast on social media um, and or, or those who have even gone on my Ko-Fi page and given me um, a little bit of money for my troubles. I'm not going to beg too hard for that right now, because I think I would rather step up the e-begging when I'm more productive. I feel I would deserve, well, maybe not deserve it, but at least earn the right <laughs> to, to publicly beg for money. So um, if you do want to support the podcast, there is a link to my Ko-Fi account, um, which is in the, um, um, in, in, in the link in the episode description. And uh, you can buy me a coffee that way, basically. Just a coffee, just to say, well done, Niall. I enjoyed that. Thank you. But, you know, no one's beholden to it. But if you do want to do the podcast a favor, then the usual things apply. Maybe just share it on your social media, whatever. If you want to contact me, you can contact me via um, rustysonnets at gmail.com. Um, I normally throw out my social media, my Twitter handle. So, my Twitter, I'm having a bit of a Twitter holiday at the moment. I might get a Rusty Sonnets. I've already got the handle, actually but I haven't done anything with the page. So I might have a Rusty Sonnets Twitter going instead if I don't come back to Twitter as a Poet Nile, P-O-E-T-N-I-A-L-L. -L. Anyway, that's enough begging from me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, the next one should be along a lot sooner. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you. I hope if this has been a nice surprise for you to find an episode after months without one, then um, I'm, I'm glad to have created a nice surprise and i apologize if you really have felt a bit let down or you've been waiting for this one to appear so i hope it's been worth the wait hope you're all taking care of yourselves in whatever circumstances you're in right now stay safe um if you're listening at the time this is released for god's sake carry on social distancing it's not over it's not finished don't listen to those lying idiots in power do your best to protect everyone around you and uh yeah because uh, I'm one of those people that shouts at people when they don't stay two metres away from me. I'm still like that. Anyway, thank you for listening. 
Have a good one. Hope to see you soon than I did last time. Take care. Bye-bye.